All right, everybody, welcome to the Deal Gen Podcast, where we talk to investors, entrepreneurs, and business titans about a wide range of topics and experiences. The Deal Gen Podcast is brought to you by Deal Gen Partners. Deal Gen Partners is the leading deal origination service on the market for private equity buyers. Deal Gen Partners combines their M&A and private equity experience with a proprietary method of multi-channel marketing services that they call the Bird Dog. This unique recipe generates transaction-ready deals at an unmatched pace and increases a private equity fund's chances of closing a deal by up to 10x. Reach out to DealGen Partners before you begin searching for your next investment. All right, in this episode of the DealGen Podcast, we had John Danowski and Ethan Liu of Phoenix Strategy Group. Phoenix Strategy Group is a startup advisory and investment bank that helps entrepreneurs turn their ideas into successful businesses. They offer a range of services, including market research, financial modeling, and business plan development to help founders create a strong foundation for their companies. So it was a great conversation with John and Ethan. You guys are going to really enjoy this one. You know, we get into the fact that a lot of businesses go out to for sale or for investment without having their financial data and their unit economics known and without really knowing exactly you know what their what they make on a yearly basis and on a transaction basis it's hard to go out and raise money um, and then once you do raise money without knowing this relevant information you might start growing too fast and expanding too quickly and running out of money before you even hit the ground running so this is a great conversation i'm looking forward to you guys to uh checking this out john and ethan here we go we're live here boys good to have you guys on i uh i'm glad we could do this and get this scheduled and um you know it's a it's a pleasure to be to be uh on the show with both of you so ethan and john here from phoenix strategy group i'd love to you know before we dive into some of the questions i have for you guys you know i'd love to hear um just, you know, a little bit about what you guys do together and how you became partners and how that partnership formed. Yeah, I'll, uh, I can kick us off, Ethan. Um, so I, uh, I have, I've been, a, I'm an electrical engineer with a master's in electrical engineering, and um, I became a startup CFO after September 11th, 2001. And since then, five out of five of my full-time jobs as a CFO, I've taken companies from single digits to 100 million in revenue. Um, wow. companies like Second Life and General Assembly, um, and and then and then most recently, I invented a way to lend money against the inventory of emerging consumer brands, and was a co-founder of Assembled Brands. So there we have a hundred million dollar fund that lends money against the inventory and receivables. It's an asset back lender for direct to consumer businesses, primarily on Shopify. Um, along while I was working in that, in that area, I was uh, doing a lot of spending a lot of time on LinkedIn and I connected with Ethan Liu and our other partner, David Metzler, um, who are also, uh, out of San Diego here and they had built, um, CBD capital group and they were acquiring and investing in, uh, emerging consumer brands that were, Bring, putting, bringing CBD to the market and providing all the health benefits of that. Um, and uh, at that point, so I brought in my methodology, which I call integrated financial modeling. And I, I brought that to uh, Ethan and David. And I, wa- I just watched Ethan and Ethan was the fastest person to ever pick it up, use it on his own, and then beginning, prov- beginning providing CFO services on his own. Uh, so then that was the first time we started working together. Then, then I just started bringing Ethan and David in on some of the companies that I work with. I now run a company called Weekly Accounting, 
Uh, we do accounting for all your business data. And I brought Ethan in. He's in addition to being a super strategic human being, he's also like a, what I call a data ninja. Uh, and the things he can do with HubSpot are amazing. So, so we've been able to basically, we found a way, Phoenix Strategy Group is really, uh, our goal was to make money with friends. And, uh, and, that's, and that's been our guiding ethos since the beginning. And we've just been having a lot of fun with it. Hey, that's great. No, I mean, it sounds like, you know, all of you guys come from successful backgrounds, right? And you have strengths in different areas. Um, but also, you know, like you mentioned, um, you know, Ethan was able to pick up uh, some of the stuff that you brought in right away. So you have, you know, you're able to share in some of those strengths and teach each other, you know, the different tactics that you've used to be successful in your past and in, in, in some of your other uh, business ventures. So, you know, some of the questions I have for you guys is, you know, at Phoenix, it seems as though you guys help um, existing businesses, you know, either prepare themselves for sale or get their financials together, you know, but what are some of the top challenges that you, you know, in doing so are helping entrepreneurs solve? Cause what are many of them coming to you for? Yeah. So first, the first thing, the first thing is that, you know, people uh, like, I think uh, the existing venture capital industry has sort of trained people to think they need to raise money first. And, uh, and then I think the sort of the service providers, the CPAs, the investment bankers, they are really primarily focused on the much, much bigger companies. And I have always in my career worked with just small companies getting started on QuickBooks with maybe a startup business engineering project that we call, uh, we call it. And so just bringing the understanding of data from all the business applications that small businesses are using today is, is where we add the most value. I think there's, you know, I say things like a CPA is licensed to do your books in a way that doesn't help the business. Um, as sort of engineers and data ninjas, we come in and instrument the business perfectly. And when you instrument the business perfectly, I say things like once you put the right data in front of an empowered team, they get better. And we've just seen this over and over and over. Um, I say things like a CPA is a license to do your books in a way that doesn't help the business. And that's because CPAs are more focused on tax and compliance than they are on the data that runs your business. And they're certainly not focused on your customer acquisition costs and your lifetime value. And you have to have positive unit economics if you want to have a chance of raising money. Gotcha. Gotcha. So completely understand. I mean, I work with, you know, um, in working in my line of business, you know, working with investment bankers and, you know, VCs all the time. And we do see the differences in, you know, where um, they're looking to get involved in companies and, and what their focus is on. And, you know, oftentimes we'll see, again, with some of these smaller companies, you know, them not even really wanting from a banker standpoint, if they do get involved with a smaller company, you know, it's not their focus. It's, um, it's certainly not something that they're, they're just basically trying to, you know, get this thing across the finish line, collect their commission and go home. And while they're, while they're working on, you know, many bigger opportunities. So it stinks because, you know, the entrepreneur that, that, that hired them on to, to get their, this transaction to be successful is now the one that's suffering from, you know, just um, a lack of, a lack of communication, a lack of really willingness to help. And so I completely understand where you guys are coming into the picture and, you know, preparing these entrepreneurs for not only while they're operating their business, but so that when, you know, if they want to exit in the near future or in the future at all, you know, they're gathering up all that data right now so that that process becomes a lot more seamless 
as they yeah. enter into that I mean, transaction phase. Yeah, I think traditional bankers, I, I used to be um, an investment banker very early in my career at, at uh, Greif and Company. Uh, Lloyd Greif uh, sponsored the entrepreneurship program at USC, and he's a fabulous banker. But, you know, the, the minimum fees for most bankers is, you know, half a million dollars to two million dollars, you right. know, for, for a bulge bracket firm. And, and, and what, what I found in working with small businesses for my entire career is that, you know, they're poorly served by their bookkeepers. They're already paying for this kind of bookkeeping. And we can build a really long-term relationship, helping them at the ground level and, and help them accomplish their goals, whatever they are. Not every business is going to be a venture-backed company. Not every business is going, is going to kind of exit. And, and so we're helping both lifestyle businesses and venture, venture-backed companies. And we're not just in it for the fee. We're in it. We're in it to help these companies for the long run. And in and in a lot of cases, we're working with founders for the second and third time at their next companies as well because of of, of how we work and how effective we are. Makes a lot of sense. So I mean, outside of you know, I, I completely understand you guys' um, spec- specification on the financials and the bookkeeping and stuff like that. But it seems as though you're both also investors into businesses. Um, have run your own, you know, helped run your own companies and seen the ins and outs of many startups. Um, where do you see most businesses, you know, in that early stage, call it, you know, pre $2 million of revenue uh, fail? Where, where do they, you know, what, what is the challenges that lead to them having to either turn the lights off or, you know, have kind of a, a fire sale, if you will, um, at that early stage? I'll speak from just personal experience, and I see it all the time, and I, I've made the mistake myself. Um, the, the number one thing that I think goes wrong, especially when you bring in capital, is you scale too early. You scale before you have you know high-quality operations. You scale before you've instrumented every role in the company. You, and, and then what happens is what, what started out as something that worked when the founder did it and then when the initial small team did it, um, that that that's that can be easily managed but then once you start to grow the team now you've got this big burn and you've got all these big expectations and um and then it's it's just easy to to kind of just burn a lot of money imagining that that the magic cohort that this 10 percent of the customers that have positive unit economics that that's your business and it's not your whole business is your whole business that's great advice it really is because you know a lot of people just the modern Silicon Valley mind is to go out and raise money and they do so before they even have a product market fit. You know, I've seen it, I've seen it plenty of times where, you know, like you said, they don't know their, their whole business. It might be entire chunks that they're still trying to work out, but they're, they're growing so fast that they don't even have time to, to put those together. We did an exercise recently where, you know, it went through the different components of a company and, you know, there, I believe it was VA, O, um, E was the, was the acronym when you used and it was visionary operator, architect and executor. And many entrepreneurs are the V and the E, you know, they see mm-hmm. something, they see how they see, you know, they have this big grand picture plan and then they just leap off a cliff and try to execute it. And they don't do the operations and the architecture in the middle that, you know, is 1000% required in order to scale. And so when you have a V and an E and you give them a bunch of money and they don't have the, the O and the A built out, nor do they value the O and the A, um, 
because it's not how they think, then I feel like it's just a recipe for disaster. <laughs> I, I agree. And I, I uh, have a little um, a saying about that. So part of our ethos is that we believe that big visions and positive unit economics can change the world. And in my experience, I think it's the only thing that can. And so I've been in, I'm a sort of a sucker for big visions. Uh, Second Life's big vision was to connect everyone to an online world that improves the human condition. General Assembly's vision was a global community of individuals empowered to pursue the work they love. And, um, and, you know, say what you want about Elon Musk, but I love the vision of Tesla, which is to accelerate humanity's transition to sustainable energy. And, um, and so that's why, you know, it's all of these things, the way professionals behave with small businesses like CPAs and investment bankers, and then also the way, you know, VCs behave, they are winner take all, they're looking for billion dollar markets or bust. And, and most businesses don't work that way. Most businesses are not venture scale. And that doesn't mean that most businesses are bad. It just means that VCs aren't a good investor for most businesses. Yep. And that just leaves that just leaves like a huge opportunity. And that's why we say we're reinventing venture financing for the 21st century. My first experience doing that was at Assembled Brands, building a $100 million fund, investing against the inventory of emerging consumer brands. But I, that's what we want to do with Phoenix Strategy Group is to get to know lots and lots of businesses just by doing the basic bookkeeping and things like that. Like if they have a bookkeeper, we can definitely do a better job than their basic bookkeeper for the same price and provide a hell of a lot more value. And then at the, at the end of the day, we've built a portfolio of companies and the cream always rises to the top. And, and those are the companies that we've had long-term relationships with. General Assembly was a good example. I, I met them in 2011. Uh, we instrumented the business with Monday Morning Metrics in, in uh, 2013. Uh, they just had a couple million dollars of revenue at that point. They were running out of money in 30 days. And fast forward four years later, we sold it to a deco for over $420 million. And, and it's because we instrumented the business at every level. We instrumented the level two marketing metrics. We instrumented the sales metrics or the, um, you know, the, of the, of the onboarding team. We instrument every single role in the company so that they're all aligned on achieving the goals, the, the detailed metrics that are required to achieve the big vision. And so in all the cases where I've taken companies from a hundred million to from kind of single digits to a hundred million dollars, it's always been getting positive unit economics and then aligning that with the big vision. So, um, and, and like at, at second life that meant, uh, we raised prices 50% like right away. Um, and then at general assembly, that meant driving every campus to contribution positive. And, um, and it's this kind of thinking, you know, you raise a lot of money, you think you can burn a lot of money for a long time. And the reality is you can't, and you shouldn't. And a lot of times when, when I, when I work with companies that have raised 30, $40 million, um, you know, in a, in a series B or something like that, they've sometimes they sort of stretch, stretch their numbers a little bit and they, and then they're afraid to sort of be honest with their investors after the deal's done. And that to me is always a recipe for disaster. The, oh, yeah. Everybody has to be on the same page from the frontline worker to the board. And if they're not, the company's not going to be successful. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen it firsthand too, where, you know, as soon as that like, untrustworthiness or, you know, uh, lack of communication or, you know, um, 
nervousness about communication starts to creep in, you know, that's where uh, big problems start to happen. And I think that, you know, you guys, I mean, you guys can be an entrepreneur's best friend, you know, and I can, I can see you've proven it before, but I've seen, I can see it, you know, now that you explain it a little bit deeper is that, you know, many, many people are out there, these visionaries, these executors, these people who can come up with an idea and then they can go sell it. Um, they're, they're missing that unit economics. They're missing that middle piece. And, you know, that to me, you know, combined with the right vision, like you said, is, is really everything you need. And then, you know, if you have a motivated, driven leader who's, who's spearheading the charge and, you know, they know, they know the metrics that they need to measure. Um, everybody in the company knows the metrics that they need to be, that are being measured and why they're being measured. And you can, you know, like you said, you do the Monday morning metrics, you know, every Monday you can evaluate what's going on within the business and look at where, you know, what parts are healthy, what parts are unhealthy. How do we make those parts that are unhealthy, you know, match the healthy parts, or do we just cut them out altogether? You know, and, and that's where there's just a lot of, there's a lot to be said about what you just talked about. And there's, you know, the, the strategy component, the architecture, the building it out the right way, and then letting the visionary and the executor do their thing is, is I think how things get done. And then maybe injecting money once, once the, um, once the whole process is aligned, people have figured out again, what to measure and why that's where I feel like where the right, and, and it has to be the right money too. You know, you can't just go raise money from, any VC or raise money from anybody that, you know, is willing to give it to you. I think that's, yeah. I think that's insane. I think you have to go out and raise the right money, strategic money and, that can help you, that can help you execute. And this, this is a, a spectrum that we talk about a lot with um, the earliest stage companies. So when, before you have your unit economics dialed in, mm-hmm. you're really only going to be able to raise money from people who know you or people who know people who know you. Um, because you're telling a story and it's, it, this is a story about a business that doesn't exist, that doesn't have metrics. And that's going to take kind of, that's why our friends and family come in or you're bootstrapping it yourself. Um, we, we built Phoenix strategy group and weekly accounting simply by bootstrapping it ourselves. And, and, um, and, and there, and that's nice because now we have full control of a profitable business, which means once we, that's our positive unit economics. It keeps the team engaged, keeps the attention of the team. And then, and then that just means we can tell the biggest vision we, we want to tell because we have the next, we don't have to worry about bringing in money. And so those are two paths at the earliest stages. As you mature and as you start to dial in, like doing a startup business engineering project and you start to dial in your, the trends and customer acquisition cost and lifetime value. One thing I do for every company at Assemble Brands that applies for capital is I look at all the ad spend they've ever spent, their cumulative ad spend in their lifetime. And then we look at all their cumulative first time customers that they've ever had. And that's a number that says this is it like some maybe you spent three million dollars to acquire 70,000 customers. And that means it's cost you, I don't know, it's about $45 a customer to acquire them. That's a number that can't lie. <laughs> that's a number that you can't fudge. Right. And I think, uh, and I think, um, I don't think most VCs and investors are doing diligence at the level that we're able to certainly at assemble brands, we're connected to their QuickBooks. We're connected to their Shopify. We're connected to their bank account. And, uh, most VCs can't do that because they, they fear 
that in the competitive deals, they won't be able to request that. Sure. And, and that's why we say we're reinventing venture financing because one, I, I don't think every business has to be quote unquote venture scale to deserve capital. And I, I think we say part of our ethos is we always bring data to the conversation. And I think making investments without the kind of data infrastructure, integrated financial modeling and Monday morning metrics that we build, I think that's just gambling. I think it is too. I think it is too. And isn't that a shame that, you know, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty backwards that you mentioned, you know, venture capitalists, um, aren't collecting that data, aren't asking for that data, aren't even acknowledging that it's important before they're trying to lend money just because the competitive deals, you know, so they're, they're, they're not even acknowledging that it's an important thing for the business to have, um, you know, and be in, in be, aligned and have those metrics in front of them because it's like, well, if we don't jump on this right this second, then someone else is going to jump on it and they're going to make all this money. And I don't know. I mean, I can just, you can poke so many holes in that ideology. Yeah. And I've, I've seen it just recently in the both two companies in the past two years. Well, we've raised companies we've working with have raised over $200 million in the last 24 months. And we've raised over 50, 60 million in the last six months, even in this market. That's as if to highlight that if you have good unit economics, you're always going to be be able to raise capital. And if you don't, you know, then you've got to restructure the business. But in two of the cases where they've raised between thirty and fifty million dollars, um, you know, there were there were things that we had to tell the investor after they invested that they just didn't pick up during the diligence. Um, and um, you know, having negative gross margins is is just not a good look for a business and so you know when you see investors investing when you see vcs missing negative gross margins while they're doing diligence it's just it just it's shocking to me uh how 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 little they respond to data and and that's really where we want to bring the you know world-class capabilities with data to the smallest of small businesses um i we firmly believe that um, the nature of work is completely changing. There's going to be people, people like me who uh, have been a CFO at individual companies. I'm with with the the tools that are out there, and with offshore talent, and by building systems, and with uh, you know with all the right data tools, uh, the productivity that that uh, somebody like me and somebody like Ethan can achieve with all these tools is like off the charts compared to where it was when I started my career and uh, didn't even have an email address. And, um, and, and I think there's gonna be a lot of people left behind, uh, people who are not adapting to new technologies. And that's, what, that's the other part of what we're building with both Phoenix Strategy Group and Weekly Accounting is, we are the experts in use, getting data from every application, no matter what it is, whether there's an ETL tool for it or not, and then using that data to align the frontline workers with the vision of the investors and the management team. I love it. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it, um, you touch on a lot of things there and I think that, you know, what you guys are building out the vision for what you have is, is just going to be so much more valuable. It's going to allow you guys and in maybe, you you know, investors. And if you guys end up raising a fund or you already have a fund, you know, future investors to be confident that, you know, the things they're being invested in the where their money is going is into companies that you guys have, you know, tremendous amount of data on you know everything about and that you're you're approaching it the right way not just trying to get 
meet a mandate and get their capital into the market into you know big name blue chip type of uh venture capital type you know investment companies and strategies so one thing i wanted to ask you about is you know with um sorry remind me of the the company that lends to e-commerce that's assembled brands assembled brands so something that's obviously being talked about a lot yeah lately or at least it has been for the last years is the supply chain um what's going on with you know uh, containers being on the ocean, you know, people not being able to get goods, um, or people paying way more than they're used to paying for certain products, uh, companies moving from, you know, their, their assembly and their manufacturing from China to other parts of the world, like Mexico and maybe even the U S. So what, with all that going on, you know, we don't need to get into why it's happening or anything like that, but how has that affected assemble brands? How is that, you know, if, are they still able to, you know, as effectively borrow against maybe goods that are taking much longer to get here or much more expensive than they were before? Well, that's, um, that's a good question. It's interesting. You know, the brands that we work with, uh, you know, range from probably 5 million to 70 or 80 million in revenue. Yep. Um, and I'll just back up and say that, you know, originally, um, originally, Assemble Brands was making equity investments in individual brands, and uh, one of the most successful brands, uh, like luxury, luxury retail uh, apparel brands, it was founded by Adam Pritzker and Kate Holstein. Is is uh, is Kate and K H A I T E dot com. It's a luxury denim and knit brand, uh, and it's just exploded. Um, and watching that happen. Um, it was, it was during that process while Kate was growing that I went out and looked for working capital. And I, I say, I literally had to buy a fax machine to communicate with the factoring industry. And the factoring industry was used to just lending retailers money against their receivable or lending against the, the fact that target will pay somebody, you know, pay one of these brands in the future. And they, and these factors just wouldn't touch that direct to consumer industry, consumer, direct to consumer inventory. And that's where we just saw the huge opportunity. Um, in terms of like what we, the Assemble Brands can, does not lend money against inventory that, that it can't, you know, sort of see and touch. So the inventory needs to be at a, at a warehouse or a fulfillment center in order us, in order for us to lend against it. That said, most of the companies we work with had um, didn't struggle with during you know kind of when a lot of the bigger brands were struggling with supply chains you know like I think I think chips was a big area and we don't really have any co any companies that were at selling electronics or anything like that um, and then um, even the companies you know one of the bigger companies that we work with is called Playology. It has uh, scented dog toys sure. that are, and they are all made in China. And that that company it sells primarily through Petco, um, and your your dogs love it. They, they it ends up being the toy that they smell around for and then find and they keep using. You know, six, seven, eight months later, um, and and that one did have that one did like Chinese New Year is always an issue. And COVID in China has has slowed things down a little bit, and so yeah. So then that you do have to carry more inventory in those cases, and so you can weather that those kinds of storms. But and the smaller brands can usually get away with it. And and honestly, sometimes running out of a product can be a marketing event as well. <laughs> and so, uh, sure. and I've seen I've seen brands do really well with that too. Yeah, no, it makes all the sense in the world. I mean, you see it on you know 
certain companies that I buy stuff from all the time where they're like, oh, this is unavailable right now. But, you know, they let you know maybe when it's coming back. They give you that update. They get everybody all jacked up and, you know, they they hit you with those uh, weekly, monthly newsletters saying, hey, this product's going to be back in stock in so-and-so time. And then as soon as you launch it, you get this big influx of... So, again, back to strategy. I mean, if, if, you, if you handle a situation like that the right way, you know, you can turn a negative into a positive, which I think, uh, Always. you know, the best entrepreneurs are, are great at. Um, so I have a couple, you know, outside the box question for you guys. Um, my first one is what's the first investment you've ever made? And this could be into <laughs> a company or this could be something that you bought into, you know, invested in yourself. Um, but I'd lo- I always love to hear these, these types of stories. This is, uh, so I will say the longest job I've ever had is my paper route. Um, <laughs> I delivered newspapers as a paper boy from when I was 12 until 18. And uh, I learned how to program on an Apple II Plus back in 1982 when, like, the Rubik's Cube just became popular. And I wrote a program to solve a Rubik's Cube, uh, something crazy I probably couldn't do again today. But um, back then, there was, on an Apple II Plus, you know, you had a word, simple word processor, but there was no spell checker. So the 13-year-old John Zanowski typed in a dictionary and built a spell checker and then invested a hundred dollars to get it into Apple's soft talk magazine. Uh, and it was, you know, I was excited about it. The whole thing, the ad's going to show, and I'm going to have my first business at 13 years old and soft talk magazine shut down. And I, you know, I lost my hundred dollars and the <laughs> magazine never published. So, um, and, uh, so obviously that wasn't a, wasn't a big loss. Um, but that was, I was, I was thinking about that as the first investment I've ever made. Ethan, how about you? You there? I'm here. Um, yeah, the first investment I ever made uh, is probably has to date back to my family office day, uh, which is a more real estate focused type of investment. But there's nothing interesting there. But my very first interested um, interesting investment is really it's on Angeles on East. So this was back in I think 2000. 12 or 11 when Angelus just started it and my friend was telling me hey there's like a weed delivery service that you know we can make investment into and so we were one of the very first people that you know invest in syndicate on Angelus because I believe Ease was at one of the very first couple investment that Angelus um debut and that ended up to be like a 15x return <laughs> so wow there you go that's a little bit different than uh than yeah. john's way <laughs> he lost it he lost his hundred bucks and you know he had to <laughs> he had to come back and uh and 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 figure out you know hey do i want to keep keep investing is this is this something that people do <laughs> you know that's but hey it looks like you've made a career out of it at this point and you know good for you ethan for kind of looking into the future there and seeing that you know yeah, this, is gonna john, be a, this is gonna yeah. be a big thing what were you saying no, I said John killed it too. <laughs> <laughs> so last question for you guys before I let you go is, um, you know, it's funny that you mentioned a hundred dollars. Um, that, that wasn't a, a recent transaction though. What's something that you guys have bought for under a hundred dollars recently that ended up being something that was very worthwhile and useful to you? Mm. It's hard to pay under a hundred dollars for anything right now. <laughs> You know, uh, and I'll just I'll just plug one of the tools that that we use pretty regularly. Um, so 
a lot of times just as a CFO or working as a controller or in a finance department, you're exporting data from QuickBooks and then you're in, you know, importing it into a spreadsheet. And, um, and so, you know, for the first probably 16, 17 years of my career, we had to do that. And so when uh, we use a tool called Coupler, coupler.io, and uh, you connect Coupler between QuickBooks and Google Sheets, and then you can make a change in QuickBooks and it just shows up in your Google Sheets. And so that's, that's $100 a month and it just saves me so much time. Nice. Uh, I'm not related to that company at all, but uh, anybody who's using QuickBooks online should be using Coupler and it just saves so much time. That's a good plug. I like it. Ethan, what about you? You bought anything <laughs> recently for a hundred bucks? Yeah. That was a big yeah. difference. Um, I have, yeah, I have a pretty interesting story about a hundred dollars. So this is something that I've been doing for the past, I would say 10 years. Um, so, you know, my first boss at the, my first job at the family office, basically, you know, the first or second day I walk into the office, he, he was trying to teach me about inflation rate. They was like, okay, you know, when you leave the office today, after that, go to the supermarket, buy a hundred items that cost a dollar, right? And then every single year, you know, he just tell me basically go back to buy the same thing and to see how much that costs now. And that's like the real way to major inflation rate. So I've been doing that for the past 10 years. Really? Basically, you know, I have a receipt of things. I can just keep going back and, you know, buy stuff. And, you know, like based on my measurement, you know, inflation rate, the true inflation rate should be somewhere between 7 to 10% per year. So wow, <laughs> that's just my finding. <laughs> Look at you. Yeah. That's great. That's a, that's a pretty worthwhile lesson. You know, that's a good way to teach somebody mm-hmm. about, um, you know, just economics in general, you know, very simple um, way. So you, you'll go back and buy the exact same items? Yeah, I have a list of items, what like you, 100 items. What are you spending today? Any idea? It's probably about like 140, 150 bucks. So, yeah, no, I mean that's a that's a pretty you know significant increase though at the at the end of the day. Um, mm-hmm. Well, this has been great, guys. Exactly. I really appreciate you know you guys coming on here. I think that a lot of what we talked about is is very important. You know, especially for people who are starting companies and and running companies that maybe are you know not haven't reached maturity yet. They're looking for investment, or you know maybe they've they've just grown organically and, and they're looking to get ready for an M&A transaction. Um, it doesn't matter. The same, the same things apply. You know, you need to know your unit economics. You need to know, you know, the data within your financials in order to have any of these things truly be as successful as they should be. You know, maximize the amount of money you can get in an M&A transaction or maximize the amount of money that you can raise or who you're raising the, that money from that you can convincingly you know, bring an opportunity to them, have them see your vision. You know, all these things are really important in, in what you guys are solving at Phoenix. Um, you know, I think anybody out there that's listening to that's that's looking to start raising money or or looking, you know, maybe you're an entrepreneur who's you know has an exit in their in their near future. Um, you know, definitely reach out to you guys and, and I'll make sure that we uh we plug in, you know, a way to find you guys after after the show wraps up. Yeah. So we have, you can find that on phoenixstrategy.group and, um, and we start every relationship with a gift. Thank you for having us on the show. That's wonderful. And uh, our gift to anybody who's listening in your audience is that we'd be happy to build them a weekly data warehouse and uh, a, an integrated financial model from their QuickBooks data. So if they apply on phoenixstrategy.group, 
we can uh, usually takes about a week for us to do that. And we'd be happy to sit there and talk, talk with them about their business and, and help out in any way that we can. That's and awesome. that's that we, we seek win-win relationships and we start with a gift. That's tremendous. I really like that. I like it a lot. Well, thank you guys very much. I appreciate your time and, um, and, and God bless and looking forward to staying in touch here. Thank you.